0: to help me with that. Uh, We'll see if we make it through the Lord's Supper without any hitches, but uh, we'll go from there. I must say, when I heard all of the announcements, I thought, well, maybe I can cut my sermon short, uh, (laughs) and you probably wouldn't mind that, I guess, but uh, we will not do that today. I'm simply reading the second part of an extended scripture passage from the book of Acts. This is the same story in continuation um, beginning with verse 27. Then the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But Peter and Apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross, but God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. The story that we just read from the book of Acts could lead us into two different and equally important directions. We read about the early Christian church when it was little more than just a ragtag collection of disciples. and Peter had led some of them out into the streets and the temple court of Jerusalem, preaching about Jesus and healing the sick. Now the high priest of Israel and the Sanhedrin, it's kind of the ruling council of the Jewish people, who thought they had been finished with this troublesome rabble once they killed their leader, angrily reacted at these disciples and threw them into prison. God, however, proved that prison walls cannot contain the power of the gospel and sent an angel with the command to free them and that they, in turn, should return to the temple and continue their preaching. Now the first theme that arises from this episode is the clash between human and divine authority. They were hauled before the council and ordered once again to be quiet, but Peter and the disciples bluntly declared, we must obey God rather than any human being. And with that phrase, Peter launched a debate that has resounded across the centuries up until our present day. And that is, when, if it ever is, is it legitimate to disobey the laws of human authority? Whether they be religious or political authorities? Back in the Middle Ages, there was what we called the investiture controversy, between medieval co- popes and emperors. And a few decades ago, Martin Luther King, Jr., wrote that famous letter from the Birmingham jail talking about civil disobedience. And we have since that time wondered if civil disobedience might be, on occasion, the right response to what we see as an unjust civil St. Paul to the Romans, Paul insists on obedience to governing authorities because they are established by God. But this phrase from Peter, that he must obey God rather than human authorities, balances the issue and leaves us in tension about how to express our obedience to God when some government seems to violate divine commandments. Now, That would be a worthy topic for a sermon, and I was tempted in looking at this text to go in that direction. But I'm actually convinced that there is a more significant issue that's also contained in this very same passage today. And it's revealed in a different phrase of Peter, who said, we are witnesses to these things. God raised up Jesus and exalted him as our Lord and Savior. We saw that, Peter says, and we believe it, and the Holy Spirit is accompanying us in that work. And that is who we are now, Peter says. We were disciples, now we're also apostles. We've got to testify that and spread good news and be evangelists, and nothing you can say will deter us from that mission. He says. Well, this leads me to ask the question, are we also tellers of the good news? What kind of a job do we do at evangelism? Are we apostles for the risen Lord? That I think is the more pressing issue in this passage. Now, when you think about it, in one respect, we are all evangelists, we all tell good news. You know, we are ready to shout to our families, yay, we got book for next summer at the, the resort that we wanted. Everybody rejoices. Everybody gets together for Christmas this year coming from all over. That's good news, isn't it? Remember that job offer I got with the big pay increase? I got it. You are ready to tell people that you care about good news if you think they will be happy about it. In all kinds of things in your families, you share good news. You're evangelists in one respect about the distance between our evangelism and the good news told by the disciples and the apostles. Because what they witnessed is of much more lasting importance. It was important enough to challenge a military empire and to revamp a centuries-old religion and to convulse oppressive social structures. Remember the situation of Peter and the other apostles. Don't forget that the ruling council that they were standing in front of was the very one that condemned their leader to death, and they knew that. They had already been warned, and they'd already been jailed to reinforce the warning. They awaited the same fate that had met their master. The risks were real, the stakes were high, and yet when they were somehow freed from prison, what did they do? right back to the temple and started preaching the gospel again. They would not be silent even in the face of their adverse adversaries, even in the face of death. That group of witnesses had seen what they believed was a miracle. It was a truly transformative event in their life and it inspired them by that event to proclaim in open testimony that the author of that miracle was available, risen from the grave, him, Healing broken lives. Maybe the very thing that we are neglecting to do in our churches. You know, we will be happy to share an event that will make other people in our family feel good, but what the original disciples saw was worth telling to the world, was worth breaking the law, was worth risking their safety. They were the reason. are witnesses to Jesus Christ, that we have seen somewhere in our life something that we could tell other people about. If we are inspired by that conviction, I hope that it will change our priorities we will set aside all the clever pictures and the personal news that we send out on Facebook pages and Twitter feeds in order to have time and energy to speak about the one whom the apostles testified. So are we also witnesses? Do we give powerful testimony to the one record, unfortunately, for us and most Christians, isn't particularly good. And that's why this is the more pressing issue from the story from Acts, because the church honestly is losing ground. And I want to give you a clear example of our failures in evangelism. I don't know so much about this particular church. Maybe you're doing a better job, but I bet we're part of that larger group. As an example. 30 years ago, almost, in 1991, our Presbyterian denomination adopted a report from a General Assembly task force on membership, growth, and outreach. That task force had said that we should offer to every congregation the chance to adopt a commitment to evangelism that we would sign a document and send it back to our national offices in Louisville that every church that signed it was going to concentrate on this theme for the next 10 years. Now, in that commitment to evangelism, there were seven points. Participating churches would agree to pray regularly to God for the growth of their congregation to adopt an underlying theology of evangelism that was suitable to their own church, to train members in sharing their faith, I want you to remember that one, we're gonna come back to it later, to seek out the unchurched that is with that are within the reach of this church, to provide study programs for new Christians so that they will understand the Christian faith, to set careful goals for adding new members and to plan programs to meet those goals. Seven points. That was a plan 28 years ago. How did we fare? Well, when the denomination adopted the commitment to evangelism, there were nearly 3 million members in the Presbyterian Church USA. There are now roughly one and Stated clerk of the Presbyterian General Assembly said, Herbert Nelson, recently said, it's clear that Presbyterians are doing poorly at evangelism. Now, if it makes any difference, other Christian denominations aren't doing much better. Membership is declining across the board in our country, in the Western world. But that should be very best to know that we're not much worse than anybody else. Why are we so poor at evangelism? So afraid of witnessing to our faith in Jesus Christ? And I don't mean just this congregation, of course. I mean American Christians in general. After all, there were decades back in the 19th century when the frontier of Kentucky and Tennessee and Ohio exploded with Christian conversions. And in the middle of the 20th, 20th century, football stadiums holding 60,000 people filled up night after night as Billy Graham or some other preacher launched her crusade. And yet somehow in the last 50 years, enthusiasm for spreading the Christian gospel has lost its luster. Now, I'm not preaching a return to the past. Uh, You can't do that. I'm preaching a revitalization of what we know is important. Times have changed. The country is more secular. We live in a much more international, global village. But we have allowed those changes to rob us original apostles in Jerusalem who stood up and boldly proclaimed that they were witnesses to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We claim when we accept that name Christian, we claim that we have witnessed the power of Christ in our own lives as well. So, is there anything that we can do to become better evangelists? more excited about and more capable of sharing what is of such vital importance in our lives? Is there a good place where we can start over again in a commitment to evangelism like the ones that we Presbyterians were supposed to have embraced back in 1991? Faced with that question, most of us will pause for a moment And then we will probably emphasize that the best way to um, witness to our Christian faith is by living a kind and charitable and righteous life. By their fruits, you shall know them, we read in the Bible. And I agree with that. A visible example of faith is a great place to start. What I don't agree with is that living such a life is enough to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should also remember another scripture verse which says that we should always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us. We still need to be able to share consciously and in words the message that we believe in. We need to be able to sit down over a cup of coffee or a glass of sweet tea with a neighbor or a co-worker or our own children, for heaven's sakes, and simply tell them why we believe in Jesus Christ and talk to them about the good that God has brought into our lives. Now, we need sensitivity to find the right moment the gospel is not to be used to whack people over the head with. So it requires some tact, but we can't postpone it forever. We've got to make a start. And so today we're going to practice how to make that start. I'm going to conduct an experiment today with you, or at least let's call it instead maybe a training exercise there's one part of that 1991 initiative that we can reclaim and practice and get good at, and that is we can train our members in sharing their faith. So here's what we're going to do today, and from now on this sermon will be unlike most of the sermons that you hear. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to one other person somewhere Front of you, or behind you, or next to you—it can be a family member, it can be a stranger. Sometimes it's easier to talk to people that don't know whether you're being honest or not. But uh, uh, find one other person, form a twosome, and um, stand up and face that person. Okay? You can go wherever you want, but I want you. If you need help finding a partner, I'll help you find one. Now, um, those of you that are young, I'm going to give you a special instruction. Okay? Um, You may want to find somebody your own age or similar to that. It might be a little simpler. But you don't have to. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just a minute. I want you to think about this first question. Why did you come to this church? And what makes you stay here? And then I want you to take a minute and tell that person that you're facing why you came to this church and what makes you stay here. And then, you know, switch when it's time. If you don't start first, your job is to listen. All right, do that please, why you came here, what makes you stay? Right? Has everybody had a chance to share that? I didn't. I saw some of you that didn't open your mouth. That's nothing. And young people, uh, students, I hope you didn't just say because my parents made me. You know that. <laughs> now, I mean that—that's okay if they did, but that can't be the only. All right, now, there's a second part. I mean, you've just started talk to some other people about your faith. The second part is a little harder. Keep the same partner. I want you now to think for a minute and then bridge from talking about the church, which is not too hard to do, to talking about some particular times in your lives, maybe where you felt the presence of God. It could have been in a time of forgiveness Someone forgave you for something that you uh, did. Maybe it's in a moment of worship when your eyes sort of fill up with tears in a particular song. Maybe it's um, a time where you felt comfort at a moment of loss. When was God personally present? had enough time for that? Um, If you would like, you may uh, turn back and uh, sit down at this point. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in that, but if that was very, very difficult for you, it could say a number of things. It could say that you simply do not have a very good prayer life or it could say that you are so very busy that you do not take time to listen for God. And those are things to consider, but I won't go any further with that. I do want you to recognize something, that this time of sharing is not an argument about theology. It's not an attempt to win new members for your church because without them, you probably can't meet the budget. persuade is not what witnessing to Jesus Christ is about. We are simply telling our story. Maybe you stumbled a bit trying to remember a key moment in your life or to find the right words to say, but you were communicating to someone the events and the ideas that are very important to your soul. You were sharing your faith. There's much more, of course, that will be required before we can live up to the example of the apostles who stood up in the temple courts and proclaimed that they would obey God rather than human law, and that they would continue to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. But we can make a start. And indeed, today you have made a start. You have offered a testimony an old-fashioned word that's beginning to come back into vogue. We have been witnesses to the goodness of God in our life. There is no reason that we cannot do elsewhere with people that we love or people we have not yet met what we have just done here today. And that is what I leave in your hands. in our worship service when we give back to God a portion of the things that he has given to us by collecting our tithes and our offerings.